trusted employee, their city comptroller embezzled $53.7 million over 20 years, and no one knew about it. So the documentary explores how something like this happened. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Thank you so much for joining us today. New listeners and long-term fans of the show, we really do appreciate you all. We appreciate you coming back each and every week and hearing the interviews that we're able to bring you from accountants with a wide, wide variety of experience. Our goal is to highlight careers all across the gamut from what you may consider to be more traditional career paths to those that have taken their accounting background and added a unique twist or maybe are blazing a totally new trail for themselves. We have another unique guest for you today. Kelly Richmond Pope joined us for the program and she has some things in common with former guests. She's a college professor and she has a substantial background in forensics, but she's also a first for the show because she wrote and produced a documentary movie that's been on Netflix, Amazon, and many more of the streaming video services you're familiar with. She's definitely a first for our program. She's the first movie producing accountant that we've had on the show. And she's an accounting academic as well at that. This was an interesting interview. Honestly, it's a little shorter than some of our shows because a lot of what Kelly talks about, you really just need to experience for yourself. Kelly lists out a few websites and even her personal email. So if after the podcast you find yourself wanting to know more, please check out her company or her movie online. She really was a unique guest for us. And after I recorded this, I came across her own podcast called Dupe of the Week. It's a really interesting show. And if you check that out, make sure you check out episode six because she goes into a lot of the detail on why they made the movie, how they made the movie, and even more background than we were able to get into on this show. I found a lot of value in that for myself, and I think you will as well. If you find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online also. You can find us at whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of audio and written accounting career focused materials there. And I'm super excited. We are just launching our second paperback book. You can find it on Amazon or on our website. It's titled 49 Tips for Working with a Headhunter. It's a guide for both employers and job seekers on how to get the most out of a relationship with a headhunter or an external recruiter. Basically, insights on on how the other side of the desk works, on how the industry works, so that you know how to best position yourself if you're looking for a job or maybe if you're an employer and looking to fill a position. Once again, it's titled 49 Tips for Working with a Headhunter, and you can find it on Amazon or you can find it on our site at whereaccountsgo.com for immediate delivery. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's our guest for this week, Kelly Richmond Pope. Well, hello, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, for the audience, we have Kelly Richmond Pope on the line with us today, and this is going to be a unique and very interesting episode. Kelly was referred to us by one of our former guests, Byron Patrick, and for those that don't remember Byron, he's a tech accountant with CPA literally tattooed on his forearm. When he suggested Kelly to me, he mentioned that she had produced a movie... And that's obviously not something we hear every day on Life in a 
Tommy. So I thought she'd be a great guest to invite. And when I approached Kelly, I realized that there was much more depth to the story. She's a professor, and the movie's subject matter falls into the ethics category for us accountants. So this really is going to be a good interview for us. Now, Kelly, now that I've sort of primed the audience, I want to make them wait a little bit to get the rest of the story on those items, because I think it's always good for people to understand you know, how you got to where you are today and what those early roots were like for you. But what initially caused you to decide to pursue accounting as a possible career in the first place? Well, I took my first accounting class in high school at Jordan High School, and Mrs. Farrell was my teacher. And we used to do these practice sets where we would pretend as though we were the bookkeeper for a business. And I realized that I really liked it. I mean, I thought the person that maintains the money is the most powerful person in any business. You know, despite the CEO, you don't know your numbers. If you control that, then you have a lot of power. So at an early age, I really appreciated understanding the way the money worked or the financial statements operated in a business. So I continued taking accounting through high school and then went on and majored in it in undergrad and um, went on to get my master's and PhD in it So um, and then became a CPA. So I knew early on that it just sort of clicked for me. Wow. Do I understand this correct? You you went straight through getting your master's all the way to PhD? I did. I went straight through school. I did. Wow. Okay. All right. So many people circle back, you know, later for the PhD. Well, I think one of the things that I was very fortunate was that I knew what I liked at an early point in my life. And I think a lot of times when you see people going in and out of jobs and in and out of industries, they're still searching for what it is that they're that they're looking for. And for me, I was, I guess, fortunate enough to know that I like this. And it is a very fruitful and dynamic profession. I didn't have to circle a lot because I found it pretty early. Okay. What were your first jobs like in the profession? Or did you have any positions you know, between the bachelor's degree and master's and doctorate while you were working through all that and after school, or did you go straight to being a professor? So I had summer internships at General Electric, and then I worked in the forensic accounting practice at KPMG after I got my PhD in accounting from Virginia Tech. So a little bit unusual work history, work pattern, but um, I did have some practical experience. And so one of the things that I still do is because of the nature of the type of work and research I do, I have the opportunity to work with a lot of companies and work with a lot of cities and towns and villages that are um, having questions about their internal controls and their ethics policies. So I still keep one foot in practice and another foot in academia. Interesting. Okay. Now I'm starting to see this story come together here. You started early in forensics. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Were you with KPMG for a while or did you pretty quickly no, move on? I moved on. I was there for, um, a little under two years, just long enough to know that I was time to move on. But um, I wanted to have, I liked working, but I wanted to go deeper. So that you have to understand that I had already done my PhD, completed my PhD when I went to KPMG. So my research mindset was very different. If you see a question, your desire is to answer it and figure out why. And that's not always what you need to do when you are in the corporate sector, in the corporate space. So I wanted to go deeper and deeper and deeper into forensic accounting and understand why were we seeing the issues that we were seeing or why were clients having the problems that they were having. So that's more of a research career, which is where I was trained. Okay, wonderful. What was your next step after KPMG? 
So after KPMG, I went to teach at DePaul University. And I'm still there, still at DePaul. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. When did you start with DePaul, more or less? I guess that was 2006. Okay. I was just trying to get an idea for about how long. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's a long period of time. I mean, I've been at DePaul going on 14 years. Okay. What do you enjoy about being a professor or about teaching? Um, What I enjoy about being a professor is it's very entrepreneurial, and I don't know that a lot of people think about it that way. I mean, every class you're stepping into is a product that you've designed, and you're trying it out on your students, which are your customers. And so it's a very creative space. There's no one really telling you what to do. And so you can try different teaching methods. You can try different teaching topics. So if you like change, it's a very good place to be. Interesting. Yeah, I I guess I never equated being a professor with that much freedom. You know, I didn't realize that. Okay. I mean, if you think about it, think about the way professors, instructors, teachers are portrayed in the movies. And they're creating a lesson. They're teaching a lesson and they're communicating that lesson to people. If you think about the way a teacher designs their classroom. I mean, that's a very creative process, you know, what you're going to put on the wall, what types of rugs you're going to use, what type of manipulatives you're going to um, introduce in the class. So it's all a creative process. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just hadn't thought through that. Hmm. Yeah, I can see the appeal for sure. Well, tell us about all the Queen's horses because you you are the first movie producer (laughs) that we've had on the show. So tell us about the film. I read a few things online, but... So the documentary is about the largest municipal fraud in U.S. history. And a small town called Dixon, Illinois, faced a very serious fraud. Their trusted employee, their city comptroller, embezzled $53.7 million over 20 years, and no one knew about it. So the documentary explores how something like this happened. And I started this project because I use film and TV as a way to teach my accounting classes. So I wanted to figure out this question. And so as this story played out in the media, the media's focus was, look at this person who stole this money and lived this lavish lifestyle. But the more important question, in my mind at least, was how did something like this happen? What was the environment that allowed or created this person? Because, yes, this is a bad apple, but there's a lot of enablers around this person that created this environment for this person to take this type of money. So that's where the documentary answers that question, the the how did this happen? Wow. So I'm thinking back to when I was in school and, you know, yes, we had professors go over case studies and we had a few used movies to make a point, you know, teach something. What possessed you, though, to go do all the research and actually produce the movie? And I guess, what was that process like? That doesn't seem like something that you get done in, you know, two months. It it seems like a lot of effort, honestly. It is. I mean, it was. It was a lot of effort. The process was similar to the process of doing a dissertation or a research paper. You're thinking about what is your research question and then who do you need to talk to or how do you find the data to support your research question? So it's funny because the same training that you that I received as a doctoral student is really the same training that I use to put the movie together. And a lot of our skills are very transferable. And I think the issue is when we think about ourselves in these siloed professions, and most of our professions and most of our skills overlap. So Who's to say? Why can't an accountant or an accounting professor 
make a documentary or make a film? Of course you can because numbers tell great stories. And so if you get paired with a person that can shoot video and can edit and can do sound design and can do graphic design, then you can make a powerful team with somebody else. How long did it take to get this done? It was about five and a half years. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. I just I have no concept of what it takes to get a movie out there, and I haven't seen it yet myself. I you know, was looking up some information. I see it's available on Amazon, Netflix, iTunes, Fandango, Voodoo. I mean, it's out there. This is not... <laughs> This is not something you have to search hard to find. I mean, no, it's not. It's actually available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, DirecTV, and then um, probably your local pay-per-view cable outlet. We were on Netflix for a year from July 2018 to July 2019. We just came off on July 10th, so no longer on Netflix. Okay. How did you choose this particular fraud. I'm curious, did you go after it because it's the largest municipal fraud in history or was there some other connection that made you passionate about this one? Well, it's a combination of a couple things. One, you have a very small town, 16,000 people. You have a massive amount of money that was stolen. And then you have this person, this perpetrator that has this really unique lifestyle that is involved in the quarter horse industry. So there were a couple of components that made it a pretty incredible story. So that's what I was attracted to. I think the small town nature of Dixon, Illinois was the wow factor because, you know, if you thought about this happening in New York City or Chicago, you would expect that, but you don't expect a small town to lose that amount of money. Wow. Gosh, man, it's hard to even know what to ask next <laughs> to have someone get a movie in that widespread. Have you thought about doing a follow-up? I have not thought about doing a follow-up because there's still many people that haven't seen it, like you. They will not need to do a follow-up yet until everybody sees it. Okay. Yeah, actually, for what it's worth and for the audience to know, I mean, you have some really good reviews online. I mean, Best Documentary of 2017, you know, not created by a career filmmaker, but by a career academic. It's terrific. Actually, the one review that I saw that was, you know, classified as, quote, maybe negative is, is said that it went deep into items that maybe only accounting people will appreciate, which I, that just makes me want to watch it even more, <laughs> you know, because there's not a lot out there. for Well, I, I would say this, given the fact that I've shown this film to fifth graders who fully understood it, I would say that that comment is not true <laughs> because a fifth grader has never had any accounting classes, but they can understand a person's stealing money and they want to understand why and how it happened. So I think it's a very simplistic explanation as to why, because one of the things that was really important was to make sure that the voice of the film was universal. It's not an accounting film. I just happen to be an accountant. So that's not what it is. Okay. I'm curious, how do you use this film or maybe other works as well in teaching your class? Well, I think good content always sparks a really great conversation. And so once you watch it, you'll see that, or if you watched it with a group of people, you would see how it's a conversation starter. And so one of the things that we typically are lacking in educational settings, as well as even in corporate training, is we don't have good kickoff conversation content. And that's really what you need to get people thinking. And so when you have something that's pretty shocking, you know, people are just sitting there wondering how in the world. And so I use that as a way to get students thinking about not only how did it happen, but how could you be like the person that either discovered it or the person that committed it? So it's a great conversation starter. Wonderful. 
And actually, what classes are you teaching these days at DePaul? I'm assuming at least one of them is along the lines of ethics. So, <laughs> so I teach managerial accounting, financial accounting, and a graduate forensic accounting class. Okay. Wonderful. I'm curious, knowing what you know now after all the work that you, you know, went in to produce the movie, to write it also, everything that took to get it out in distribution, do you think that that's something you would ever want to do again? I doubt very seriously I would ever do a movie again, only because it's a very long and hard process, a very expensive process. And so I think that storytelling, using video to tell stories is important, but I don't know that I would ever do a feature-length movie that would be on a Netflix-type platform again, just because it's very hard. And I don't know that that's how I want to spend my time. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to ask about this, but you just tended at it. I'm curious, is this something that you had to fund entirely on your own, or were you able to get some support? Um, The team and I raised money for it. So, no, this was fundraising, personal funds. Yeah. And so there are not a lot of people writing checks for it to do (laughs) big new movies, an unknown filmmaker. So even that makes it hard. Well, thank you for being willing to discuss that a little bit. One of the items I wanted to ask you about, just, you know, because of the topic of the movie and your teaching forensics and your your background, it's actually along the lines of ethics. Since we're talking to a broad audience, you know, no one specific, it's a podcast. And then also, though, given that a large part of our audience is pretty early on in their career, You know, some accounting students, but definitely, you know, the first few years in their career. What issues do you feel like are sort of a major problem in the world today with either with respect to ethics and business or specifically accounting? However you'd like to answer that. Well, I think the biggest problem that we see as it relates to ethics and business is there is no line anymore of what's right and wrong. It's more about what can you get away with. And I think that that is the the message that is permeated down from the top. And I think that's a problem because it's all about what you can get away with. I was on LinkedIn the other day and I was reading a comment from Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook. Let me see if I can find it. Hold on a second. He was talking about some of the decisions that they make at Facebook. And I think this is the nature of the problem that we're in now. He was actually justifying, Mark Zuckerberg was justifying how Facebook handled its privacy rules. And he pretty much said what they're doing, although may not be always ethical, it's legal. And I think that that balance that people are dealing with in their minds is part of the problem. As long as it's legal, it's okay. But something that's legal, that's also unethical, is also problematic. And although you may not be in jail, you could be destroying relationships, destroying people. And you have to think about that. But I, I think we're so focused on how much can I get away with versus what is right versus wrong. I think that that's a challenge in the corporate space as well as in academia when we're teaching students. You're reminding me of the ethics course that I have to take every couple of years that, you know, we're called as accountants to uh, not just do what's legal and uphold that, but also to really ask that question, you know, is it ethical and, and uphold that as well. Sometimes what is legal can keep you out of jail, but what is unethical can keep you up at night. And so you have to think about both of those. Hmm. What do you think 
Maybe it's the same answer, but what do you think it's important for the, quote, younger listeners, you know, the individuals that uh, maybe are still in school and just about to start their professional career to know about ethics or the workplace and, you know, what they may encounter out there? What would you want them to remember as a professor going out into the world? And I think it's important to find your role model. Like, who is it that you want to be like, not only inside the organization that you work with, but outside of that? So who is your crush? Who do you wish that, you know, every time you see that person or have the opportunity to hear that person or if they wrote a book, you would read it? Who is that person? And making sure that you tie yourself to people that you can follow in organizations that you feel that represent you because organizations change and they can change you too. So, you know, making sure that you understand you because you have to have a very solid understanding of your do's and don'ts and who you are as a person before you walk into any of these organizations because a lot of times there can be a mismatch between what is important to you and what is important to the entity that you work for. Yeah, it's always interesting when you have that role model too, and then as you you know get a little deeper into your career, you realize that hmm, maybe that role model isn't someone that I should be modeling after. You know, maybe there becomes an ethical issue, and then you have to make those decisions for yourself. Hmm. Thank you. Well. You mentioned in our scheduling emails back and forth, you mentioned that you had a new business out there as well. And I wasn't sure if that, you know, is something coming down the road or, you know, if it's too preliminary to talk about now or if it's okay to, you know, let the cat out of the bag. (laughs) Sure. So I started an edutainment curriculum business where we develop educational content that is based in entertainment, but interwines accounting theory, business theory, ethics, and leadership into films and into investigations. And so we just finished a game. Well, it's an investigative experience game called Red Flag Mania, where you are tasked with trying to solve a case. So think about Clue, more of a modern-day version where you watch a film and then you are launched into a scenario and you're given an investigation box with a bunch of materials that you have to use evidence to solve a case. Interesting. Okay. So (laughs) are you producing films for the game? Okay. Not commercial release films where I'm submitting it to a film festival where I'm getting the sound edited, mixed, and color. Not that. Not in that way. Okay. You just can't get away from it, though. (laughs) Well, this is different. I mean, I think using film as a way of teaching is great. Using good film as a way of training um, corporate learners is great. But trying to compete in the film industry is very different. Okay. Is Red Thug Mania something that you play in the classroom effectively? Yeah. Okay. Is it a multiple session kind of game? Is it something you play all semester? Okay. It can be, yes. Okay. Are you going to be making this available to other universities? And Yep, I will. It will launch this fall. And um, if you want more information about it, you can um, contact me at kpope2 at depaul.edu. If you want to read about Red Flag Mania, though, that website is www.redflagmania.com. And you'll see all about it. And you can watch trailers to the film and you'll learn more. Wonderful. You definitely have a lot going on. (laughs) I do, yeah. Makes life fun. It makes life fun, right? Yes. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions, and I want to be respectful of your time and still leave 
you know, some good time for those. So we better get to that. The first one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? I think my proudest moment was a paper that I co-authored with my father coming out of the PhD program. My father was also a a business school professor, a um, business school dean, and later a college president. And he passed away in 1999, but a paper that we co-authored when I was a PhD student came out right, right after he died. So that's probably one of my most proudest moments to have that piece of, I guess, if you will, literature still in the world with my dad's name and my name on it. Hmm. That is special. Wow. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, of course. Hmm. And that's a tough one because I feel like I'm learning them every day. (laughs) (laughs) It can be recent. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I'll I'll make it relatable to what we're talking about here. A lesson that I learned the hard way, I learned lots of them, was about studying for the CPA exam. And one of the things that I learned there was you have to put in the time in order to pass. And I remember the first time I took the CPA exam, I just, I don't think I studied like I was serious about it. And the first time I took it, I didn't pass all the sections, you know. And I think that I learned that you have to work hard. And sometimes even when you work hard, you don't always get the result that you want, but you have to try working hard. And That was one really valuable lesson that helped me establish my work ethic and just this desire for excellence for everything I do. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm a big proponent of certification. It's changed my career and it changes everybody's career. And I'll tell you, I got some feedback on the podcast, just you know, random, a random email that came in a few weeks ago. And it was from someone, I think they were in their senior year in college. They were still definitely you know, in the student experience. And they said that they were on the fence as to whether or not they were going to pursue certification when they got out. But since they've listened to the podcast, we've had enough guests mention it that they said they had decided that, you know, it was definitely something that was worth pursuing and that they wanted to do. So thank you for being yet another guest. <laughs> certification. Yeah, we're doing a little good in the world. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? And the best piece of advice I've ever received came from my dad, and it was about finding your niche and making sure you finding your niche makes you indispensable. You know, what is it that you can do that nobody else has done that makes you valuable and makes you unique? And, you know, I think I live by that every day. I would put money on it if you can find another accounting professor with a PhD in accounting that has a documentary that ran on Netflix for a year. I doubt very seriously if you can find that person. And so developing what your unique superpower is and exploiting that to your benefit is a really valuable lesson. That's a great point. And actually, I mean, it's perfect for our entire audience. Yeah, finding your niche is so important. Public industry, just in life, it's, thank you, that is wonderful. And it takes a long time. You know, it's not quick. And you're going to go through a lot of ups and downs in order to, to figure that out. But you can find it. But it's not a quick process. Definitely. Well, that is perfect advice to end this on, for sure. 
Well, for the audience, this has been Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. And if you haven't yet visited our website, please do so. We have a tremendous amount of accounting career-related content there for you. Plus, we always list a few related episodes in the show notes for this one. So if you've enjoyed our conversation with Kelly Richmond Pope, please make sure you come out to the, the website and check out the show notes for a few related episodes. The website is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, Kelly, I've really appreciated this. If people want to find out more about you or All the Queen's Horses or Red Flag Mania, where do you want them to go? What's the best place online? Or do you prefer an email, LinkedIn? What do you prefer? Well, you can do all those. If you want to, you can find me on LinkedIn under Kelly from Hope. You can find Red Flag Mania on its website at redflagmania.com. And if you want to go watch the All the Queen's Horses, you can find that on YouTube, Amazon, Google Play, DirecTV, iTunes, or you can just read about it um, anywhere. Just Google All the Queen's Horses and you will have plenty of resources. Wonderful. Well, this has been a really fun conversation. And thank you to the audience as well for joining us for another episode. We appreciate you. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.